This morning, I want to discuss Joseph. In discussing Joseph, we're going to look at this man's extraordinary life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. God, I ask for your anointing to speak to your people. God, I ask that you would anoint those here to to receive. God, that they would walk away from here changed by your glory. Father, I ask that you would hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ. And that your word would go forth with power and glory. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Many of you may know the story of Joseph. But I want to bring it across to you a little bit differently this morning. When you look at the life of Joseph, you will see three people. You will see Joseph. You will see yourselves. And you will see Jesus Christ. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, it spans 2,000 years of time. 13 chapters are given to Joseph's life. From chapters 37 to 50 is is the story of Joseph. Why is that? Why give 2,000 years to 11 chapters in one life? To Joseph, one, 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 one amount of time, Genesis 37 to 50. Why give that much time? Because God is trying to show us that it is the story of Jesus. The name Joseph and Jesus come from the same root word. It means savior or deliverer. When you look at the story of Joseph, you will see all the things that Joseph went through and how God was orchestrating that, how God was orchestrating the life of Jesus and how God is orchestrating your life. When we look at this, we will see that Joseph faced injustice, rejection. He faced all things unexplainable, unfair and heartbreaking. But here's the thing. We must see how we respond. And that is the only thing that we control. We're going to see what's the key to responding in our pits. Let's look at the life of Joseph. Joseph went into the pit at 17 and reached the throne at 30. He experienced bitter rejection, sexual temptation, and betrayal like no one has ever known. But he experienced all of this without complaining. It's kind of like what Brandon was saying about with Joshua, the Holy Spirit did not reveal any sin that these men committed. No counseling, no encounters, no King James Bible, no sermon series on forgiveness, no grand worship team ushering you into the presence of God. Just a fuzzy-faced teenager in the desert who knew God. Let's look in chapter 37 of Genesis Verses 2 through 5. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilal and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a very colored tunic. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers. So they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream 
And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. To kind of give you the background of this story, Joseph has 11 brothers and sisters. I'm sorry, 11 brothers. They were all shepherds, but they had five different mothers. Jacob is his father and his great grandfather is Abraham. Now, this is the most dysfunctional family you will see in the Old Testament. His, his upbringing is filled with jealousy, anger, and deceit. All Joseph heard and all his brothers heard all of his life was how much their father loved them more than, loved, loved Joseph more than his father. I mean, more than his brothers. But think about this. God said, when Jesus appeared on the scene, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And his brethren, the Jews, absolutely hated him. To add insult to injury, Joseph tells them two dreams. He tells them one about his, the sheaves bowing down to his sheave. Jesus is the Lord of all the earth and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of God the Father. And then his second dream was the sun, moon, and 11 stars would bow down to him. This is telling us that Jesus is Lord over all the heavens. And this is prophetic. You will see this at the second coming. Now, Joseph sent, I'm, I'm sorry, Jacob sent Joseph to get, go for his brothers in Shechem, which means to shoulder. This word also means grace, which is where their father wanted them to be. But they were in a place called Dothan, which means law. What does that tell us? This Dothan was farther than Shechem. God sent Jesus to his brothers for grace, but found them in law. What's the message? The more legalism you get into, the further away you get from grace. Let's pick up the narrative in Genesis 37, 18 through 20. They saw him from afar off. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then they will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what becomes of his dreams. Now, remember, Jesus was sent to his own and his own received him not. Joseph was a shepherd. He was looking for his brothers who were out shepherding a flock. Jesus is called the good shepherd. Now, they saw him from a distance and instantly hatred and sarcasm flourished. In Genesis 37, 27, I'm sorry, chapter 27, verses 23 to 28. Excuse me. Says So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and they cast him into a pit. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it because the story is quite long. Then they sat down to eat. Now imagine this. They strip him, throw him in the pit, and they're able to sit down and eat. <laughs> and then they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming. And remember, they were going to kill him. And Judah, one of his brothers, being truly Jewish, says, let's sell him. The Midianites trailers passed by, bought Joseph for 20 shekels of, shekels of silver and took him to, to, to Egypt. <laughs> now we can see that Joseph was the victim here. He was being thrusted into unforeseen circumstances that he did not deserve. 
Now listen, Joseph was sold for the price of a slave by one of the twelve named Judah. Jesus was sold by one of the twelve named by the man named Judas. Now, getting back to the robe in verse 23, Satan does the same thing. He wants to take the robe of righteousness that God has placed on you through Jesus Christ. He wants to rip it off of you and he wants to throw the blood of your guilt on that robe and remind you every day that God doesn't love you. But I'm here to tell you this morning, God does love you. God has forgiven you. God is raising you up in righteousness. Amen. Remember, Jesus had a robe and they and at the cross, they were gambling for his robe. That was one of the perks of working the crucifixion. You got to get the garments of those that came down that, that were about to die. Now, think of this. What was God allowing this situation? Well, let's ask this question. What if another caravan had come through that was not going to Egypt? What if he was sold to different owners? What if he never made it to Potiphar's house? What if he was never accused by his wife and thrown into Pharaoh's prison? And he would have never been sought out to interpret the dream that ascended him to the throne. His brothers would have starved to death and the famine would have destroyed the entire known world. Now look at Jesus Christ. What if he never made it to the cross? We would all be destroyed and separate and our famine of sin. You may feel like Satan is walking you around on a leash and you're walking aimlessly from pillar to post. But let me explain something to you. God is working all things out for your good. He is working behind the scenes, even if you can't see it, for his bigger plan and his bigger purpose. Joseph was just like you and me. He had issues. He had good days, bad days. He was being thrusted into a circumstance he did not deserve to be in. Sooner or later, unforeseen circumstances will come. Sooner or later, you will be done something wrong by someone and you do not deserve it. Sooner or later, you may be falsely accused of something. Sooner or later, something unfair will happen at the job. The only thing you can control is the response. Meanwhile, his brothers slaughter an animal, throw the blood on the coat, and tell Jacob that their their son was killed. But in reality, the Midianites sold him to Potiphar, which brings us to our first point. God is with you even when you cannot see. In Genesis 39, 1 through 2, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now look at the most powerful statement that can be said by any human, by, for any human being. The Lord was with Joseph. In fact, in chapter nine, 39, it says it eight times. The favor of God is more powerful than diamonds and silver and the earthly wealth. It cannot be grasped, but it could be seen. Now, it's definitely understandable to be in a position raised next to brothers who hate you and say, where is God? Have you ever been in a place where you have said, where is God? To be lied about, to be thrown in a pit 
and to look up and say, where is God? To be sold into slavery two times and be thrown into prison to, to say, where is God? My question to you this morning is, do you, does it look like God was with Joseph? Absolutely not. We know the story, but it does not look that way. Point number two, people are watching you in the trial. Verse three in chapter 39. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. But here is the truth. Potiphar could see that the Lord was with Joseph. In spite of all Joseph was going through, he was still head and shoulders above all around. It was obvious to God. His work ethic never changed. In the midst of suffering and justice, you are being watched by those around you. And the way that you respond will either draw them to Christ or push them away. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that those that were his brothers, do you think that they were suffering at all? Absolutely not. We don't see anything. They probably sitting by the pool grilling burgers, watching ESPN or the UL Cajun game last night. <laughs> Listen, in your own life, what are you going through? Has someone wronged you and it looks like they're getting off? Don't look at your husband and don't look at your wife. Back to the story. In Genesis 39, 7 through 9, Potiphar's wife tries to sleep with him. Joseph refuses. She constantly makes advances at him. And he says something in verse 9. That would be a sin against God. Now look at the character of Joseph. Even though most people would have checked out of their relationship with God and said, what's the use? God's not with me. He's not, he's not caring about me. I might as well indulge in the flesh. It's easy to obey God. When you're sitting in service and your face is wet with tears at his presence. But what about the times when you are in the desert and you don't see and you don't hear God? Now, keep in mind, Joseph was in his early 20s. He would have been a testosterone hurricane. The Bible says that he was well. He looked well. Joseph was falsely accused and still suffered. He went from the pit to the prison. Now, look, Jesus was falsely accused as a drunkard and a blasphemer. And Jesus was in prison for a crime he did not commit. The third point, God was working in the midst of this injustice. In Genesis 39, 19 through 23, it said, Now it came about when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me. And his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And there, and there he was in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Yet once again, he found favor with the jailer. Listen, had Joseph not been in the king's prison, if he would have just been in a regular prison, he would have never been able to be in the position to meet Pharaoh. 
Every trial that Joseph was in, he was promoted. What's the message? We need to quit whining about injustice and make the best of it. I'm going to say that again. We need to quit whining. I say we need to quit whining because our attitude determines how long you will stay in the pit. Joseph did what he did in spite of injustice. And for that, he became warden of the work release program at the penitentiary. Your destiny is not the pit. Your destiny is the palace. If he was accused by some other Egyptian lady, he would have been thrown into another prison or possibly even just executed. Now, do you think Joseph thought, I didn't do anything to deserve this? Listen, there will be times when you go home and you lie in your bed at night and it's just you and God. And you will look up at the sky and you will say, God, I don't deserve this. This is not fair. You must answer two questions. Am I on my own? Is God with me? Or number two, is God in charge or not? Once you understand these two truths that you must make real in your own life, you can go through injustice. Joseph never said a word of injustice. Remember, Jesus remained silent before his accusers. Now, it's not clear how long he was in prison, but he suffered injustice for 13 years. Pharaoh has a dream and they tell him, hey, Pharaoh, there's a guy in prison that can interpret your dream. Now, listen. In a matter of minutes, everything changes. For the biggest injustice in human history came the greatest promotion in human history. Listen, keep your heart right before God and continue flourishing in your pit. Because at any moment, things could change. You may be waking up every morning and the only thing chirping outside of your window is buzzards. But let me tell you something. Satan will tell you if you were a child of God, this would not be happening to you. I want to remind you of something. Nothing shall be impossible to them that believe. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are a child of the king. If the Bible says if God be for you, who can be against you? Look, we need to walk like it. We need to think like it. We need to talk like it. We need to, to walk around knowing that God is with us. And if God be for us, then no one could be against us. Now, Joseph was standing before Pharaoh. Let me, I think I need to say something here. Jesus did not take you out of the grip of sin to leave you in a pit. He did not desire to leave you in a pit. All of heaven is invested in you. Jesus experienced the same exact thing. That's the point of this this story. I want you to see that Jesus experienced the same thing. In Genesis 41, 39 through 40. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you all of this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only the throne will I be greater than you. Remember, Jesus went from a tomb 
being seated at the right hand of God. Joseph went from the prison being seated at the right hand of Pharaoh. Now, Joseph enters this position at 30. Jesus Christ entered ministry at 30. Joseph went from the prison eating scraps to every day in the lap of luxury, eating filet mignon, ball crawfish, gumbo for breakfast. It didn't matter. Whatever he said he wanted, he got it. Now, also, Pharaoh gives Joseph a Gentile wife during this time of rejection. Remember, Jesus was given a Gentile bride during the time of his rejection. Joseph had two children, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh means God has caused me to forget. Ephraim means God has made me fruitful in my affliction. These are two evidences that Joseph trusted God in spite of the storm. As the story picks up, there's a famine that's on its way, according to Pharaoh's dream. Joseph prepares for seven years. He is now the prime minister, and he is one of the most powerful men besides Pharaoh. It's seven years later. Let's pick up the story. In Genesis 42, 1 through 4, I'll paraphrase it. Jacob says, what are you guys doing looking at each other? Go to Egypt. I heard that there's food. Jacob sends his sons to Joseph for food. Remember, God sent Jesus as the bread of life for us. Here is where the plot thickens and Joseph's character is once again center stage. In Genesis 42, 6 through 7, it says, Now Joseph was the ruler over the land and the one who, who, was, who sold to all the people. And Joseph's brother came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself and spoke to them harshly. And he said, Where have you come from? And they said, From the land of Cana to buy food. Now think of this. You're in this position. These men would have come and they would have bowed down like this and put their hands on their laps and had their heads down, waiting to be spoken to. And Joseph is looking down and he might remember all the things that happened. His life was stripped from him. You are now the most powerful person on the earth. You missed out on the family portraits the memories, the birthday parties. And Satan will tell you you have every right to destroy their lives. But the question is, do you? Maybe Satan told him the last time you saw these brothers, they were plotting to kill you when you were down in the pit. Joseph, remember, they saw you as a slave. Remember the pain that they caused your father. This is what Satan does. He brings up all the reasons why you should retaliate. 23 years pass until they see that since they've seen this teenager in verse 40, chapter 42, verse eight, it says, but Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. When Jesus came the first time, they did not recognize him as the Messiah. Joseph had the power to have them beaten, tortured, jailed. There would have been no questions asked. What will you do when the time for payback comes? When the person that has wronged you will need you. What will you do? The question is, how will you react? It's based on what you believe. Now, I want you to be aware. It does look like Joseph is getting even. And I encourage you to come Wednesday night. We're going to look at these tests. And we're going to see these are the same tests that we must take. Remember this point. God used these men to work something in Joseph 
God was using Joseph to work something in these men. Now, when you pick up the story, Joseph tells them, I believe that you're spies and you came to, to spy out the land. And in verse 11, they said something that would have probably made us all mad. They said, we are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Now, Joseph must have thought honest. Honest, really, this would have been very telling of the fact that they had not changed. Satan would have instantly jumped on this argument and said, Joseph, put them out of their misery. This could have triggered Joseph's conscience and, and caused him to relive the pain. Here's a side note. Don't let others dictate to you whether or not you forgive them or not. You are the one in bondage in prison when you hold someone in unforgiveness. Don't let forgiveness be based on what someone else does. Let forgiveness be based on what Jesus Christ has done for you. Back to the story. Joseph puts him in prison for three days. The same prison he was in. (laughs) He then decides, you know what, I'm going to let you go. But this is the deal. I'm going to keep Simeon. And I know that you have a, a younger brother named Benjamin. Fetch the younger brother. And bring him back, and then we'll let, I'll let Simeon go. In Genesis 42, 21 through 24, their conscience is once again resurrected. Then one said to another, truly we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben said, did I not tell you, do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. And he turned away from them and wept. But when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Now remember, in the future, Israel will go through such tribulation during the after the rapture of the church. The Bible says, unless that day be cut short, no flesh would would be spared. Remember during Jesus' trial, the Jews said, let his blood be on us. And history has come to show that they have suffered so many tragedies in their lifetime, which is absolutely heartbreaking. But Joseph heard what they said and wept. And it gives us insight to the horror of that day. It says, we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us. Think of that in a pit. Pleading for your very life. And the brothers that you play toys with are looking at you like a a convict. That they're looking at you in disgust. And that's supposed to be your family. And yet you're in a pit and they walk away and you sit here looking at the wall saying, where is God? How am I going to get out of this pit? What will my dad think? Joseph matured so much during this time that he was he saw his son, his brothers bickering. In their distress. I believe this is a picture of how God views us when we eat the fruit of our sin. When we are eating the fruit of our sin, we we sin and something happens and God looks down at us merciful, but he allows things to happen. Not only that, but Joseph takes the silver and puts it back in their bags. It was a way of Joseph testing them, but it's also was showing that I forgive you. Jesus Christ put the silver back in your bags. (laughs) 
Jesus Christ put the silver back in your bags. This is what happens. They return back to Jacob and they say, Jacob, dad, we met this guy and we let it end up slipping that we had a a younger brother. And and now uh, he wants us to bring him back. And Simeon's over there and uh, we just made a mess, dad. And Jacob says, absolutely not. I love I love Benjamin. (laughs) And they're probably thinking like, here we go again. I, I, I'm not sending Benjamin and they say, Dad, you know, we're going to we're going to end up starving anyway and we're all going to die. Please let him go. Remember, Jacob says something very interesting. He says, everything is against me. Little did he know that his own flesh and blood was sitting on the throne with unlimited provision and power. I want to tell you this morning, do you feel like everything is against you? We have an elder brother. Seated on the throne of thrones with every ability and power of unlimited provision for you. Hallelujah. Now they return with Benjamin, Joseph's real brother. In Genesis 43, 26 through 30, I'll, I'll paraphrase it. They come back to Joseph's pa- palace and they bowed. And Joseph said, is your father still alive? And he said, Yes. Then he sees Benjamin and absolutely loses it. Joseph hurried out for he was deeply stirred over his brother and he sought a place to weep and entered his chamber and wept there. Why do you think Joseph wept? He probably saw his brother and saw, man, if they did all this to me, what are they doing to you? He was identifying with his sufferings. There's someone else who identifies with our suffering, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus wept for his brothers because they were a sheep without a shepherd. Now, Joseph sets up a luxurious meal at a banquet table for those that hated him. There's coming a day (laughs) in the not too distant future that we will attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we will sit at the table of the king, us who at one time, one time hated him, walked against him. But he has set it up through redemption that we will sit in glory with the king of kings and the Lord of lords and sit and sup with him. And it will be the greatest supper you ever eat on the face of this earth. Hallelujah. He then once again gives them all the grain and loads them up. He puts it back in Benjamin's bag. A couple of hours later, Joseph's men come riding up and they say, how could you be so ungrateful? All what the master did for you. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he said, you have the money in your bags. And they're like, look, we don't have anything. Check it. They check the bags. There's the money. And they said, well, we, we don't know how that got there. He maybe he gave it back. That's on him. And they said, that's not the issue. You stole his silver drinking cup. And then these brothers are like, we didn't steal any cup. Go ahead, check the bag. I tell you what, if you find that bag in one of the brothers' bag, kill him and we'll all be your slaves. They go through the bags, they get to Benjamin, and there lies the goblet. (laughs) Here we go again. They're in Joseph's presence. In verse four, chapter 44, verse 16, Judah said, what can we say, my Lord? What can we speak? 
How can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. 23 years earlier, this same brother that says, look, let's look the dreamer. And all the brothers said, let's kill him. But this one says, let's sell him. Remember, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah and they did kill him. 23 years later, here comes the confession. Joseph was seeing repentance during this time. Now we get to the most beautiful part, I believe, in the entire Old Testament. In Genesis 45, 1 through 3. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were all terrified at his presence. The Hebrew says that the blood drained from their face. That's probably not all that drained. (laughs) Point number four. The way I respond tells us what I believe about God's plans. In Genesis 45, 4, it says, Then Joseph says to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold in Egypt. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. There is absolutely no way around this truth. If you truly believe God is in charge, you will trust him with your enemies. Whatever is in your heart at the moment of the trial will come out, whether you trust God or you don't. Now look at the mercy that is shown here. They were terrified, and he spoke to them kindly. This is the one thing that we must know, and it's not some great theological statement. God is in full control. He's in full control. God is in control of the winds. He's in control of the waves. He tells the earth where to do the axis. He's in charge. He tells the oceans how far they could come. He tells the mountains how high they can go. He looks at man and says, come, and we say, nope. Think of that. It's like, who is smarter, the rocks or us? (laughs) Now, this breaks down into some sub points here. Number one, Joseph knew God was working his destiny out. In Genesis 45, 5, he says, it was to save lives. God sent me ahead of you. Now, Jesus knew Because the Bible says that redemption was planned from the foundation of the world. Number two, Joseph knew it was for God's plan, but he did not know this lying on his back in the pit, that there would be a famine coming. He says in verse 40, chapter 45, verse 8, it was not you who sent me here. Remember, Jesus was sent to this earth to die by his father. Number three, Joseph knew God was in charge. Chapter 45, verse 9, it says, God has made me Lord over all of Egypt. Remember, Jesus is the king of all the earth and the judge of heaven and earth. Now, we've talked about three people. Joseph, Jesus, and us. These two got it. Do you? What circumstance is God using in your life right now 
to change your life or someone else. I can tell you it's the very mountain that's in front of you. But look, be of good courage. Though sickness come, troubles come, trials come, miscarriages come. Everything has to go through the almighty hand of God. Every circumstance has to get his permission and go through his gracious fingers. No matter what circumstance may befall you, God is with you. God is with you. When, when you look at Joseph, the Bible says God was with Joseph every, every time. Listen, I don't know why we go through what we go through. I have no answer. But I can tell you one thing. When the dust settles and the last shot is fired, you will be victorious. You will stand on, on streets of gold and shout victoriously. I promise you that. Now, we may say, God, I don't understand why you allowed this, why you didn't prevent this. God, you could have changed this. But God would simply tell you, I'm working out my plan in your life. Genesis 45, 7. God sent me here to preserve a great remnant in the earth, to keep you alive by a great deliverance. This was prophetic. This remnant of Jews were protected so the Messiah could come out and save us from the famine of sin through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the great deliverance. That God takes the good, the bad, the friend, the foe, the job, the pain, the highs and lows, and works it out for his glory and for your good. Number five, God keeps his promises. Remember, when Joseph saw them bowing down, he says, and Joseph remembered the dreams. Joseph didn't need revenge. If they had walked through the door and he would said, take their heads off, that dream would have never come to pass. So there was no need for revenge. That's why he says in chapter 50, verse 19, do not be afraid. Am I in God's place? We need to understand vengeance is not ours. When we take vengeance out on people, there are people that are sitting in LPCC today that took vengeance out that alters God's plans. If Joseph could understand that, we need to understand this. Let me ask you something. Did you take vengeance out on a loved one and now they want nothing to do with Jesus Christ? God wants you to know something. Go and make that right. Sometimes the, the closest people that we are, we can drive them the furthest away from God. And God, I believe, will hold us personally responsible for that. God places treasures around us called people. And only you and I can reach certain people. We need to take inventory of all of our relationships. And if anything that we've done wrong to anyone, we need to go to them and say, I am sorry. Not for your sake, but for their sake. They might be, that one, one thing might be the very thing that gets them into heaven. And wrapping this up, how does this show the future? Two ways. What was the significance of his brothers going into the land twice? The first time he came, the brothers came, they didn't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognized them. The first time Jesus came, remember the Jewish people had come into the land with Joshua. 
And then years later, here would come the Messiah. And they did not recognize him as the Messiah. The second time they came back in May the 14th, 1948. When Israel became a nation again. Remember, the second time in Genesis 45, 15, he kissed his brothers and wept upon them. And after his brothers talked to him. Jesus is coming back. <laughs> in Zechariah 13, 6, the Jewish people will be gathered at the battle of Armageddon. In Zechariah 13, 6, and they shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thy hands? And he will say, these are the wounds I received in the house of my friends. Zechariah 12.10 says, They will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn as one mourns for his only son. This is going to happen. And the Bible says in Romans 11.26, All of Israel of that day shall be saved. The first time Jesus came, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. The second time he comes, he will be the lion of the tribe of Judah. The first time he came, he came riding in on a donkey in in Jerusalem. The second time he comes, he will split the skies on a milk white stallion. The first time he came, he was spit upon. He was beaten. He was laughed at. He was mocked. He was brought before Pilate. The second time he comes, Pilate and all of those soldiers will be drugged before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The first time he came, he was nailed to a cross. The second time he comes, he will rule and reign from the throne of his father, David, and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Now, can we stand? Remember, we only have a little bit more ways to go. (laughs) Joseph was given a name by Jacob called Joseph. But in Genesis chapter 41, verse 45, he was given a name by Pharaoh, and it was called Joseph Zaphonath Paneah, which means the revealer of secrets. In Revelation 19, 12, It says he has a name written upon him, which no one knows except himself. We do not know what his name is at all. In Romans 2.16, this will take place on that day when God will judge the men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. 1 Corinthians 4.5, therefore, do not go passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light to the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's secrets. To the sinner, that person will stand before God at the great white throne judgment and they will answer for every thought, for every word, and for every deed. And they will be eternally sentenced to a place called the lake of fire. That will happen when the revealer of secrets comes. To us that are saved, we will stand before God at the Bema Seat Judgment. The Bible says we must all appear and give an account. We will give an account for the works that we did after we were saved. And that will be a great moment. That's when we get our crowns and it will be a joyous celebration. But this goes even further. When you get before the Lord, there's an old hymn that we used to sing called We'll Talk It Over. We'll talk it over in the by and by. We'll talk it over, my Lord and I. 
I'll ask the reasons. He'll tell me why. When we talk it over in the by and by. There will come a time when, mother, you will get to sit with Jesus and say, why did my teenager have to be killed in a car wreck? There will come a time when you will be able to look at Jesus and say, why did that person have to have cancer? You will stand before the Lord and say, why did that injustice have to happen to me? The mother or the father that has ever said, why, God, why? You will have your answer. I can't explain it to you now. Hold on a little longer. The answer is coming. How many people here can say, I'm in a huge pit and I see no way out. My pit has made me better, bitter. How many of you can say, I have not trusted God in my pit? Maybe you need to forgive those around you or in your family that are keeping them out of the kingdom of God. How many of you can say, I've been stripped of my robe of righteousness and I want to put it back on. I'm tired of buying into the lies. I am the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The royal blood of heaven is in your veins this morning. And how many of you can say, I have questions for God and I would like answers. Listen, don't go to hell over a mystery. Don't go to hell over a mystery that you don't know here. The answer is waiting on the other side of these clouds. Maybe you can say, I don't know Jesus. I have no robe whatsoever. I'm going to ask you to be bold. I want to see your hand. Because I believe once you acknowledge that before the Lord, the Lord can look down and change you and save you. How many of you can say, I know that I'm not right with God. And when the revealer of secrets comes, I do not want to be laid bare. I need my sins covered. Let me see your hands. See your hand. See your hand. Thank you. I'm going to ask when the service closes that you would come up and talk to me because I want to talk to you about salvation. Those that are dealing with the things that we just spoke about, if you need prayer, we would like some altar workers and pastors to come up and stand with you on all the things that we talked about. Listen. There's no high like the most high. And there's no freedom than what Jesus can give. Many of you might be in bondages to pits right now. And you see no way out. Jesus Christ made the way out. God can part your Red Sea just as he did for the children of Israel. I want to thank you for coming this morning. God bless you.